We're on the record. I'm senior producer Melissa Gear in for Sheila Cast. Good morning. Beginning this month, nine pillar institutions in Baltimore will join forces to celebrate the work and life of one grand artist. The Elizabeth Telford Scott Community Celebration will honor her creative legacy through exhibits, performances, and education. On view right now at the Baltimore Museum of Art in conjunction with the Maryland Institute College of Art and Goya Contemporary is a revival of Micah's Eyewinkers, Tumble Turds, and Candlebugs, The Art of Elizabeth Telford Scott. We'll have more information in a few minutes about that and many other events celebrating her through May. Here to touch on some highlights is Army veteran, artist, activist, and archivist Dion Moses. Moses is curator of archives at Afro Charities, and she created the internationally recognized Maryland Institute Black Archives, which documents Micah's Black history from the 1800s to the present. For the Telford Scott celebration, she's instructing Micah students who will curate exhibits at several of the galleries. Welcome to On the Record, Dion. Hi, thank you for having me. Who was Elizabeth Telford Scott? Elizabeth Telford Scott is an artist. Um, she's best known for her wit, um, and they also call her a rascal. That's her her daughter Joyce often referred to her as a rascal. Mm-hmm. She began quilting at the age of nine, and she was taught by her mother and other Black women um, in Blackstock County, South Carolina, where she was born and raised. She made quilts for many years um, with uh, her community around her. They often talk about how um, they would throw a needle down and she was young and she would listen to the stories as her ancestors talked and she would bring the needle back up. And so she learned all of her techniques through them. Um, and their work was also influenced by African traditions and also belief systems. And um, they incorporate those themes into their quilts and which also um, inspired her to incorporate those um, themes in her quilts. But before I move on to that, let me touch a little bit about um, these African belief systems sure. and um, traditions. Um, fabric holds a significant cultural significance in African-American communities and African-Americans brought and learned these traditions from their ancestors who came from Africa uh, during enslavement. Um, and so Quilting um, and, and fabrics um, in the African-American community were jobs um, and skills that were both used by men and women. Historically, the men would create these tapestries and then the women would design them. And so they served as ways to tell stories, but also preserves memories within the community. So, for instance, like if you think of the G's Benz quilts um, down south, um, they were often exhibited on clotheslines and fairs and like, you know, by the sides of the rows. But when you would look at the quilts, um, these women could tell you stories about members in their family. This might be someone's tie or someone's wedding dress. Mm. And so these memories really um, enforce cultural traditions, but also cultural memory um, when they may not have had the means to photograph or different things like that. So a lot of these materials were used, um, but also they wove together community and also wove together stories. And so these are the long lines of craftspeople that Elizabeth uh, came from. They were in her family, but they were also in her community. And so it was a very unique way for her to um, connect with her ancestors. Later in life, um, you know, we discovered she discovered that she was dyslexic. Um, but when she was a child, um, she went to school in a, in a one room uh, schoolhouse. Um, she was also she was not enslaved, um, but she did uh, pick cotton tobacco, vegetables, and other type of agriculture um, throughout the rural South. Um, as she got older, um, you know, escaping uh, Jim Crow and other type of hardships that were happening in the South, she decided to travel up North um, to Baltimore. Um, and that's where she would later meet Joyce's father and then eventually have Joyce G. Scott, who is her daughter and well-known, uh, well-known artist and I'm sure has been 
known and documented yes. all over Baltimore <laughs> and many people know her. Yes, um, Joyce is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to jump in here. A 1998 Baltimore Sun headline read, Elizabeth Telford Scott's quilts team with history, emotion, and art. How would yeah. you describe her work? Oh, you know, her work for me describes um, freedom. It fuses the history of where she comes from, but it also um, has a lot of elements of different designs and patterns and things that you wouldn't think of that come from her creative imagination. And these are things that I've never seen before in any quilts or any type of fabric pieces. Like what? Um, came, I mean, what are the pieces? Like she had rocks and pebbles, beads, knots, embroidery, um, different figures and flowers and other types of natural shapes. Um, and so you would see some of these things, you would see these um, motifs and different things like that in African um, banners or other tapestries. Um, but the inclusion of all of these different um, pieces were actually memory work. And so when we see a lot of rocks in her pieces, a lot of people are like, why are there rocks in her quilts? Historically, in Africa, the belief is that rocks hold spirits. And they're reminders of home. So usually when people leave their native land or when they're traveling, they might take a rock to remind them of where they're from. Mm -hmm. And so um, she included these rocks in her pieces. Um, and they would, of course, they would add weight um, into, into the pieces. And Joyce always, always talked about um, her mom's quilts. And when she talked about why, she asked her mom, why did she put these rocks in her quilts? And her mom said, you get a different feeling when you're underneath them. I don't know if anybody has oh, a, a weighted, yeah. a weighted um, quilt. Or a quilt, but a weighted blanket. Sure. Um, and you do have a different feeling of when you see um, this piece, when you see um, a, a regular blanket or so, then you lay under a weight, make you have a comfort. And there's like, there is a, a heaviness and there's a, a weight on you. Um, but when you think about all of the people whose um, fabrics or different materials or the rocks where these rocks came from, and they like, and you wrap yourself around them, you're, uh. there is a different feeling of, of home or a different feeling of like connection with ancestors and with place that you might not get it otherwise. I know that there are a couple of dozen pieces of hers that will be used in different exhibits across the city. Can you describe one or two in, in detail? There's one piece that's going to be on display um, called Rock Circle, and it's at the George Peabody Library, um, part of the JHU campus. Um, and it features uh, fabric, sequin, rocks, buttons, beads, um, and shaped like a shield. Um, and so it's like kind of gold on the edges. And then if you come in a little bit more, there's like a red sequin outline around the sides. And then kind of like in the corners and different spots along the shield, there are these buttons that have embroidered beads on top of them. And they're like heavily uh, on top of the button. And then in the circle, there's a rock, a circle made of rocks. Um, and they're encompassed by green, I think, I believe they're onion bags, but they're like kind of like plastic small bags that you would see at the grocery store. So Elizabeth used every piece of material that was um, at her disposal. And so um, Amy Reese, who is the director of Goya uh, Contemporary, when we went to visit, she talked about how during um, Elizabeth's later years in life, as she was in at the hospital for, you know, various things, that she um, used to use this as a healing tool, one, to heal her, but also protect her um, from whatever things might be ailing her. And so that was really just touching to me um, to see this was a piece that she actually used, um, but also um, provided her with different healing properties. And so it's interesting to think about healing um, properties um, uh, spiritually, um, as well as, you know, medically, um, in terms of like it being at Peabody. So I really like that kind of conversation that can happen there. And she was not afraid of color. I mean, no, her, the thing, no. yeah, it was, it's very bright colors, very bright, very bright, very bold. Oh, there are some pieces like it, um, that have, um, a little bit more of a, a muted tone. 
Um, there's a quilt at Jelma called Africa, um, and it's mostly um, uh, uh, more of a tan color, um, but it also has um, different visualizations of African motifs, um, birds, um, and different natural elements on it that talk about, about home. That's artist and archivist Dion Moses on the record. I'm Melissa Gear. Moses is working with a group of MICA students who are organizing events and exhibits around the Elizabeth Telford Scott Community Celebration. Beginning this month and happening at nine institutions and galleries throughout Baltimore, there will be dozens of events featuring the work of the fiber artist. How were those institutions chosen? Were they instrumental in her career in some way? The nine institutions that were chosen, the BMA, MICA, Reginald F. Lewis Museum, uh, Morgan State, James E. Lewis Museum, the Maryland Center for String Culture, Coppin, Cryer Art Gallery, um, J.H.U. Peabody, and the Walters Art Museum, as well as the Peel um, and Arts Every Day, they have all worked with the Exhibition Development Seminar Program over its 20-plus uh, year history. That's which was the, started- the program at MICA that you're part of. Yes. What has it that been like for you working with them? I mean, did they, I'm sure they had to do a deep dive into her work if they're curating these pieces, these uh, exhibits. Teaching this class has been a full circle moment for me. I'm not sure if you know, but I'm also a graduate of EDS and MICA two times over, um, a bachelor's in photography, but also MFA in curatorial practice. But when I was undergrad, I participated in EDS. And so it was, it's always hectic and crazy, but it's also thrilling and exciting. Exciting. And so it was nice to be on, it was interesting to be on this side of the um, class from our side of the desk this time. I'm teaching the class and working with students. Um, we'd spent uh, the first few weeks learning about Elizabeth Tofford Scott, but also learning about the community partners. We did a, a venue tour where we got on the bus and we went to every, we went to nine venues in one class period. Uh, which I can definitely say it was intense, um, but we got to visit the, the spaces. We also got to visit um, uh, Goya Contemporary, where we met with Amy and she gave us um, a beautiful um, class period of teaching about Elizabeth Taffer Scott and her works. Um, and then we also had opportunities to meet with Joyce and speak with her and have a um, different types of uh, critiques. Um, but the main part of the class, the students were spending Fridays with their community partners, really diving deep into the institution, how things are run there, but also um, some of the uh, goals of the community partners of what they might want to see come in fruition with the exhibition, which is something that happens in real life as a curator, unless you're running your own gallery or something um, can happen. So they had a lot of hands-on real world experience that um, is vital to EDS. And um, it really helps and shapes your career if you choose to move forward in this career path, whether it's in art or as a curator. Did Elizabeth Telford Scott's work influence you as an artist? Elizabeth's work, I didn't, I'm going to be honest, I did not know um, Elizabeth's work uh, before this. I mean, I really studied it, should I say. I knew it when I learned about EDS, that was the first exhibition that he told us about as it was the first exhibition. But learning more about her work um, and learning more about, um, as Joyce called it, improvisation. Um, sometimes I have um, a little trouble with improvisation, um, whether it's me being married to an idea or thinking about things I've you know, learned in school. Um, and so learning more and seeing how Elizabeth works where she um, had an idea in her mind and she just went with the flow. If it didn't work, she could rip it out and she could start over or she liked it and she just kept going. So um, I have sometimes that they call it that, you know, masterpiece syndrome. Um, But seeing um, Elizabeth's work in terms of um, the freedom in which she expressed and not having the quilts take on these traditional shapes, I love it. Um, And so improvisation is one thing I've really learned from her um, as a creator. And I'm definitely taking that forward with me um, moving forward. 
And you devote a lot of your work uh, archiving past and contemporary black Baltimoreans. What does a comprehensive celebration of this artist mean for black creatives in the city? Recognition um, and preservation, I think, are at the forefront um, of this kind of work. Um, it helps um, acknowledge her artistic contributions uh, to the community, but particularly in Baltimore. Baltimore gets a bad rap a lot. Um, artists here often overlooked, um, but they are now getting more shine than they ever have before. So it kind of validates the things that she's um, done throughout her career. A lot of people may not know her, but she is a very well-known artist within the artistic community, but I think it definitely makes her household name. Um, the other thing I'll say is it builds community. Um, never before, not that I know of, that um, nine institutions have got on the same wave mm -hmm. um, and tried to build this sense of community um, surrounding one artist, um, especially with these collaborative efforts. So it's been really inspiring to see this uh, be done by the community partners, but also the students. Everyone has really taken hold to this. And I think the last thing I think um, what Elizabeth's work does in this um, exhibition does, it kind of breaks the stereotype. Um, those stereotypes of craft and fine art. Um, we have those discussions, you know, a lot about what does it mean to be an artist, who can be an artist, who decides that, who lets you in, who gatekeeps, you know, all these different things like that. And I think um, Elizabeth broke all of those stereotypes um, and she continues to do so um, even after her, after uh, even in death. Um, and so um, she's been very, very influential and inspiring. I think um, not only this is good for, you know, black creatives in Baltimore, but for everyone in Baltimore, who else and whoever will see um, what we're doing here. Hope it inspires them to move this forward. And what do you want visitors to come away with? I mean, there's so many different pieces and kind of um, the way people can interact with this work. What do you want visitors to come away with after viewing Elizabeth Telford Scott's work? Knowing more about Elizabeth, I think first and foremost, um, her as a woman, um, her as an artist, her as a mother, um, just knowing more about her. The um, exhibition in, at, at the BMA is beautiful. Um, it has a lot of uh, inscriptions of uh, words that people have said from collectors, but also Elizabeth's. And also the students' works um, are beautiful and what they've taken away um, from inspiration from either what they've read or from her creativity and how they've interpreted her. Um, there's one thing that we haven't really talked about, and that's um, accessibility um, and disability justice. Um, that's been a little bit earlier. I had mentioned that she found out later in life that she was dyslexic. George Sissel, who I must say is the brainchild, have to give props to George um, for putting all this together. I am just the instructor. George uh, Sissel was the mastermind behind this. Um, he's uh, an amazing curator, but he's been working a lot in disability justice um, and with different groups around the city, um, specifically ARC, um, about disability uh, justice. And so um, he really... Um, Put it into the class and, and to me and letting me know that that's one thing he really wanted us to focus on. So we have a lot of um, accessibility features, whether that's from font, typefaces, seating, um, mm -hmm. as well as to um, what we put into the exhibition from the beginning. We've had ex accessibility mentors. Um, we also have um, accessibility experts and users um, who have different abilities, um, whether it's visual, whether it's um, hearing, um, whether it might be even mobility. Uh, we have been consulting with them throughout the process, um, but also they will come to the sites um, during the first week um, and, and experience it for us. And then let us know, give us some feedback um, about um, what they've experienced. And um, we're hoping that we can really instill into the practice of curatorial practice to make accessibility from everybody, not in the forefront, not on a side program, not um, every now and again, but every day. And so we wanna make sure that we honor them and make sure they feel welcome um, in the space and know that we thought about them. So every single exhibition space has some type of accessibility feature in mind. Um, and I hope that the community sees that um, and um, 
other curators and other institutions um, continue this on in their practice, especially our community partners. Wow, it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, thank yeah. you so much for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Dion Moses is a MICA instructor and curator of archives at Afro Charities. We've been talking about the Elizabeth Telford Scott Community Celebration. Nine institutions in Baltimore will be honoring the fiber artist's legacy now through May. On view right now at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum is Black Woman Genius, Elizabeth Telford Scott, Tapestries of Generations. And at the Baltimore Museum of Art, Eyewinkers, Tumble Turds, and Candlebugs, The Art of Elizabeth Telford Scott. We have more information about all of the events at the On the Record page at WIPR.org. Short break on the record, and when we're back, a stoop story. I'm senior producer Melissa Gear in for Sheila Cast. Stay with us. <laughs> 